Praise God. Praise God. We'll go ahead and release our children to their classrooms today. Praise God. Just as a note, uh, we've mentioned this before, we will make mention more. Um, you, you may notice in services periodically, you'll see uh, Brother Zayo Santos run up here and then run back and run up here and run back. Obviously, what he's doing is he's working to capture the audio of the services. So when there's ministry of the word, he's capturing it digitally. And so uh, if there's a service that you would like to be able to go on your phone or go online and listen to the service recording, you can do that. We can make that available to you. No charge. We're not charging you for that. Um, but you can go in and connect. Uh, now, that doesn't mean, well, I'll just skip service and start listening online. It's never the same as when you're together with the body of Christ. You understand. Um, but sometimes there's power in going back and hearing the word of the Lord again and again and letting it turn in your spirit and work in your spirit. Or if maybe for some reason you miss a service, just staying connected with what the Lord is saying to the body is important. Because he really does speak in the Lord. The scripture says that here a little, there a little will he speak to his people. And so the Lord will build precept upon precept, line upon line, and here a little and there a little. And so that's why sometimes if you miss a service and then you come back and you'll hear a message, and the Lord may minister to you, but you may be missing a piece from here because you weren't able to be here on a Wednesday or a Sunday. And so we are, we have, thank the Lord for technology, we have the ability to get that service into your hands free of charge. If you have a smartphone, a computer, you can get the link and listen to the service. And so, uh, please, uh, tag in with Brother or Sister Santos here. You guys raise your hands and wave them around. Just in case you all don't know who they are, that's this couple right up here on the corner. All right. Young, handsome, and beautiful couple right up here. There you go. So see them, and they'll get you links. They'll send those to you. They'll need an email from you, but then they can email you a link that will work so that you can tag in and listen to those services, and I believe they'll bless you. Amen? I would encourage you, um, if you weren't here Wednesday night, we had a panel at the close of that service that answered some questions about home Bible studies. I think you would be blessed by that. And uh, the Lord is drawing us as a people, his body, back to teaching home Bible studies. And I believe doors are opening that way. And so uh, get with them and get those links to the services. The Lord will bless you. Amen. Praise God. I'm asking Elder Flowers to come minister the word of the Lord today. You can be seated. Let's uh, get a couple of scriptures I wanted to look at. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. As Elder, Elder Hart asked that question, what, do, what does God love? What things do, does God love? This is where my mind went. Sinners. 
sinners. He loves a cheerful giver, obviously. That's what the scripture says. He loves a lot of things. This is where my mind went. He loves sinners. But God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. Now, if you, if you had a timeline here and you were looking at through the history of time, <clears throat> and if he died somewhere around 33 A.D., 2,000 plus years ago, more or less, and, 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 and the scripture says, while we were yet sinners. So Paul's writing this to the church of Rome. Some of them were, some of them were not alive at the time that Jesus Christ died. So it, it, it's almost strange in a sense to say, okay, how was I a sinner when he died? I mean, I, I'm 33 years old now. I'm not really close to 2,000 years old, and I don't think anybody in this room is. But Paul says, while we were yet sinners. And Church of Rome, while you were yet sinners. While you were still sinners. So this is not just talking about a physical timeline and as he was hanging on the tree, the people that were living in sin at that time, it's not just for those people, okay? The work that he did covered their sin, those people that were sinners at the time he was hanging on the tree. It also covered the sin of those that lived and died before he even went to the cross. It covered their sins in the past, Think about that for a second. We know in the Old Testament, their sins, it says, were rolled forward, right? We, we point back to the cross and say, somewhere in the past, Jesus died for me. They didn't know it at the time, but they were pointing forward to the cross. And somewhere in the future time, Jesus' death became the ultimate sacrifice for them. So Paul is saying, all of us, while we were sinners, he died for us. And that's how we know that God loves us. First John chapter three, verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. This is how I can see. This, to perceive literally means to have something shown to you. And then you see it, you perceive it. So what was shown to me, or what did I learn from what was shown? The love of God. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life. For us. That's again, just like Paul was writing in Romans. That's how we know that God loves us. Everybody put your hand on the chest and say, God loves me. 
I know that he loves me because he died for me. Amen? While I was yet a sinner. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Amen. This ought to be fun today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll start at verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's a phrase, if you grew up in the church, I guarantee you heard that somewhere in your teenage years. That one phrase, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And for me, I heard it in the sense of, Caleb, you better not even think twice about dating a girl that's not in church. And I, I'm not the pastor today. I'm not trying to say right, wrong, or indifferent about that. But I'm telling you, that's the context that it was delivered to me in over and over again. To be unequally yoked with an unbeliever means we're tied together. Just, it gives that visual of a yoke and two oxen in, a, in that yoke. And if one of you is a believer and one of you is not a believer... You're in for some serious trouble. So that's what that phrase literally means. Don't get tied together with an unbeliever. It's not just for teenagers, okay? It's not just for single people. It's not even just about a romantic relationship. It's about any facet of life that you have an opportunity to join yourself with someone that's an unbeliever in whatever endeavor it is that you're undertaking. For what fellowship? So here, here's where he's going to explain why he can say that. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Everybody say fellowship. fellowship. What fellowship? hath righteousness with unrighteousness. Now here he's not telling us, shun all the unrighteous people. Shun them. Shut them out. Don't ever talk to them. Don't even look at them. Don't think twice about them. He doesn't say that. But the word fellowship is talking about a spiritual fellowship, a connection that takes place on a different level than just sitting at a table and having a meal with someone or just hanging out after church and talking to somebody in the parking lot. Okay, that's, that's fine. But he's saying, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Verse 15. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Verse 16, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. Everybody say, I am the temple. Ye are the temple of the living God. He's trying to make a point and saying righteousness and unrighteousness, light and dark. They don't mix. Okay, that's great. We understand that. What does that have to do with anything? 
You're the temple. God lives inside of you. So what else is going on inside of you that doesn't mix with his spirit? You are the temple. You know, I, I think this would be strange. Just bear with me. I'm going to give a little illustration here. Kind of silly. But I think it would be kind of funny and, and strange. So you drive past uh, McGonagall here and you look up the, the driveway and you can see there's this little building that we're sitting inside of, right? Wouldn't it be strange if this was a bar? You come here and drink alcohol? Play pool or whatever, you know, do whatever it is that you do at a bar. But people driving by, oh, that looks like a cute little church. What's really going on in here? Now, that's the picture that Paul is painting here. Your temple, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, it makes a lot, we understand in the natural, no, we don't do that. You know, we're inside of a building, but, you know, we, we don't just do what's here inside something totally different than what it looks like on the outside. What's, what's on the inside is supposed to reflect what's on the outside and vice versa. What's on the outside is supposed to reflect what's on the inside. Ye are the temple. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'm going to read verse 16 in New Living Translation. What union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers. And separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Understand this has nothing to do with the unbeliever. This has to do with me, the believer. It has to do with the believer. All he's doing is simply identifying the unbeliever as a group that you're supposed to come away from. Nothing else about them. We don't rail on them. We don't mark them with an X. We simply step away from it. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Now, verse 17, it says, when, when it says be separate, it says that, that word means mark off from others by boundaries to limit, to separate, and to set apart for a purpose. Okay? We can't overlook that. We, oftentimes, new believers and people that come into the church, this is the first thing that they struggle with is, why don't I look like everybody else there? What's, what's so great about them and so bad about me that makes them look like they do and makes me look like I do? And, and it's, I'm just being honest with you today. It's, it's a difficult thing for people to get over. It's actually something that will keep them from coming here. Not because of you. Not because of us. 
But it's just a, it's a fact of life. I don't really feel comfortable hanging around a whole bunch of people that look nothing like me. Okay? Can we be real enough to let that sink in for a minute? But the point here is you are being separated for a purpose. Anybody remember this old story? Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? The, the, the golden tickets inside those candy bars, right? Now just think for a second what it would be like to be the guy that worked in the factory. Not the Oompa Loompas, I mean. <laughs> the guy that's packaging these things. <laughs> Some of us might identify with those Oompa Loompas a little bit. But no, you're the one that... You're packaging this, and somebody comes along, and I don't know what it was, five golden tickets maybe, and they chose those five candy bars and stuck the ticket inside there. I don't know how they did it. It's a, it's a fictional story, okay? But for this purpose, those five, and then they sent them all over the world. They could have easily just said, okay, one, two, three, four, five. I'll take these, set them right there. And now we're shipping candy bars all over the world. What they just did was separate those five special candy bars, right? For a purpose. The winners, the ones that get these are the winners. Okay, believe it or not, I can't believe I'm comparing holiness to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But when you separate yourself, you're distinguishing there's something different about me. We already said it. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. There's that, that makes you different. Like it or not, it makes you different from this world. Hey, all those verses, what fellowship has this with this, and this is not like that, and this can't join with this. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So separate yourselves. And then it says, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Who would like to get up here and define what it means to touch an unclean thing? Probably no one, right, wants to be put on the spot in that degree. But really, it's saying, again, just like being unequally yoked, you are participating in something. You are coming in contact with an outside source, an impure source. What he's actually saying, this, this, this whole passage, it, it really directly relates to the, the Levitical priests, what they could do, what they couldn't do, what they had to do, and what they had to stay away from. Okay, but we know when Paul's writing this to Corinthians, there's no more Levitical priests around doing the things that they used to do. Yet he's using the same imagery and he's using the same uh, descriptions and even instructions in this spiritual sense. All of you are the priest. All of you have the temple living inside of you. So you can't just say, well, back then they could say, I'm not a priest. I have nothing to do with the temple. 
I don't even really have to know about the inner workings of the temple. All I have to do is pick a lamb, put a rope around it, and walk it a few miles. That's the extent of my relationship with the Lord. Pick a lamb and, and take it to them. Now Paul's saying, ye are the temple. You separate yourself. You don't touch an unclean thing. We just jumped a lot from one family, one tribe, being responsible for knowing all these things to anybody that opens this letter has this applied to their life and now has to obey this. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. Why, why can't I just touch it? You know what? That's over there and I'm over here, but I can just, you know, that's, get it on my finger and wipe it off. We're good. No. What he's saying, why couldn't a priest do it? Okay, if we're going to use that analogy, why can't a priest just go over and one little bite of pork? That's fine, right? No, I just, just a crumb. That's fine. It doesn't work that way. You, you become impure. That's what was instilled in these priests. You are chosen. You are special because of your bloodline. You're a priest. And if you do any of these things, you're no longer that. You're no longer special. You're no longer separated from the rest of the tribe of Israel. That one bite cost you. This is fun, isn't it? I tell you, this is going to be fun. 2 Corinthians uh, 7. Go to the next chapter. So he's continuing this writing. Touch not the unclean thing. Come out from among them. Be separate. And then he says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us, everybody say us, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting, what's the word? What's the word? Perfecting holiness. Perfecting holiness. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Now we understand, I think most of us can understand or maybe a little bit, little bit easier explain what is a filthiness of the flesh. Because just like the Levites had all these rules and that they did them, they were unclean. They were impure. Okay? So it says, cleanse yourself from unfilthiness of the flesh. Now, I got a question. Biblically, how do you clean something once it's been impure? Now, you try. obviously, the goal is to try and keep it pure, right? But how do you clean something once it's been impure? Think about Adam and Eve for a second. They were put on this earth. There was no such thing as sin. There was no such thing as impurity. There was just a rule, and as long as they followed it, they were pure. They were righteous. 
They were innocent. But we know they didn't follow it throughout their life. And once they breached that and the impurity came, what did I say about one bite, right? You take a bite, you're no longer pure. How, do you, how, did, how did their sin become cleansed? Through death and blood. Right? Those two things. Everybody say death and blood. That's how the sin of Adam and Eve was cleansed, covered. Okay? Through death and blood. Now, again, with Moses, there, he, if you read Hebrews chapter 9, it, it gives you a really good account. You kind of get a really good flavor of the Old Testament without having to read the, the whole Old Testament. That's a little side note for you. Hebrews chapter 9. But it's because he talks in there about what Moses had to do and then the significance of what Moses did. I'll give you a little hint. Death and blood. Whenever there was sin, Moses would take the sacrifice. That's the death. He would take the blood, sprinkle it over everything, cover everything. And we're seeing death and blood cleanse Filthiness, cleanse, sin, right? Everybody still with me? Okay, so we got Adam and Eve, we got Moses. Now, New Testament people, that's you and me, how do we cleanse sin? How do, here's a hint, how do we wash away sin? In the waters of baptism, that represents the death, and the covering, the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ over my sin, right? We say we baptize for the remission of sin. I got a little side note here for just a second. When you start to treat a, 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 an illness like cancer, and we use that word, that's probably the most common method or context that we use that word today. Something is in remission. Okay, it's backing up a little bit, right? We say that the cancer is in remission or that illness is in remission, and we just kind of picture it, okay, letting go a little bit, backing up a little bit. I have good news for you. That's not what happened to our sin. It doesn't just back up a little bit. It's a, my sin is in remission. I would, be, I would be silly if I just went around thinking that. I, I, I still got a little bit, but it's in remission. It's not as bad as it used to be. It's... It's in remission. No. When I have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to my life and covering for the remission of sins, it actually remits it. That's a full work. Okay? Fully, completely remitted, covered, gone, washed. Right? So cleanse. That's, what the, that's the word we're talking about. Cleanse. How do we cleanse something? Okay, there was death and blood with Adam and Eve. There was death and blood with Moses in the tabernacle. There was death and blood at the cross and then applied to my life spiritually in the waters of baptism. Okay? Now, Paul's writing this to the church just like I'm speaking this to a church today that knows these things, knows Jesus, knows he died on the cross, knows that the blood is there for me. And here he says again, cleanse yourselves 
from all filthiness. Okay, we, if you've been baptized, thank the Lord. I've done that part of it. I, I love this analogy. I'm so thankful the Lord gave me this analogy years ago. Re, the difference in forgiveness and repentance. I'm, I'm sure I've said it here before. Forgiveness is when, if, if I got these picture bright, white, shiny pair of tennis shoes, and I just drug them all through the mud. They're nasty looking. And I go up to the Lord. Lord, you gave me these nice sneakers, but I got them dirty. So his, he would forgive me. And, and an example of that, his forgiveness is, here you go. I got another fresh pair right where those came from. Thank you. Same size and everything. Smell better. Thank you. He forgave me. He forgave the dirtiness, the filthiness of those shoes. Okay, that's only one part of it. That's his part of it. He forgave me. Does he repent me? No. I repent myself. So I've got these fresh sneakers on, these new kicks. If I go right back to that mud puddle, whoo, it's so much fun. Let's get them dirty again. Am I repented? No, I am not. Now, thankfully, if I take them back, he's got another pair there. But I'm not repented. He will forgive. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. But I'm not repented if every time I get them, I go straight back to that mud puddle. No, repent means to change. And in this example, changing my direction would be, I'm not going that way. That's the muddy path. That's the dirty path. I'm going to go the clean way. I'm going to repent. I'm going to change my direction. So to cleanse myself from this filthiness, I have his blood applied to me, and then I walk in repentance, getting rid of the things that caused the filthiness. Now it says, of the flesh and of the spirit. Like I said, I think we can identify a lot of what causes this filthiness of the flesh because that's the realm that we live in. That's what we go Monday through Friday and then Saturday and Sunday. And yeah, that's all the flesh stuff. What about this spirit thing? How do I cleanse or how do I even identify what needs to be cleansed about the spirit? I'm glad you asked. Matthew chapter 23. I want, you, I, I, I want you to picture in your mind, hopefully, a, 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 maybe I shouldn't do that, that's dangerous, a hypocrite. Not a, not, you're not allowed to think of a certain person that you know, that doesn't work. No, just get this image of a faceless person that's a hypocrite. What is it about them that makes them a hypocrite? They say one thing and do another, basically, right? Matthew chapter 23, start at verse 25. Jesus talks a little bit about hypocrites, what it means to have a hypocritical, what's the word, spirit. And we're talking about how to cleanse ourselves of filthiness of the flesh and spirit. 
So verse 25, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Let me read you that same verse, New Living Translation. You are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Another translation says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and uncontrolled desires. Verse 26, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first. Remember we were over here in 2 Corinthians and Paul's talking about cleansing. And Jesus here is dealing with a matter that needs to be cleansed. And he says, cleanse first. Everybody say first. Cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Now, I'll just interject back. Remember what I said about how especially new believers, newcomers into the church, they struggle with not looking like everybody else. Put that in the context of this scripture for just a second. Because the Pharisees were the ones that cared a lot about how do things look on the outside. Am I clean on the outside? When my brother or my sister sees me, are they going to see somebody that they think is clean, pure and perfect and has got everything right? Well, Jesus knows the heart and he knew a lot better to say, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. And he says, cleanse first what's on the inside. So it doesn't matter which stage of our walk with God we're in. First time at the church, second time return, you're just getting started or you've been here for 30 years. If the inside is not clean, it doesn't matter what the outside looks like. Now, when you get the inside clean, you're going to start caring about what the outside looks like, right? Now, unless, unless your intention is to deceive somebody, if you've got this, this old, you know, raggedy mansion that's nasty outside and weeds growing everywhere and ivy coming out the windows and, you know, needs a new paint job. It's awful looking. And you go in there and you restore the inside. Put in this fresh veneer. Clean all those windows from the inside. Put in new light fixtures. Wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to return to that every day. I can't wait to get to my clean house. Oh, let's just... I don't want to look at from the driveway. Wait till I get inside the door. Oh, it's beautiful in here. But really what you're trying to do is you're trying to deceive others from what they see inside there. Okay, that's just, that's free, that's free material on holiness right there. I don't know where that's going, but when what's on the inside is clean, when you care about cleansing what's on the inside, it will reflect what's on the outside that the outside of them may be clean also. Verse 27. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees? Again, he calls them hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs. Which indeed appear beautiful outward, 
but within are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Another translation says, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. I really don't, I don't think I compared, care to be compared to a tomb in, in any sense. You know, it's not the, not the best sounding analogy of, I'm a tomb. But he's telling them, I walk up to you and here's what I see when I walk up to you. The outside of a tomb. It's pretty. It's clean. Whitewashed. Beautiful to uphold, to behold. But I can tell what's on the inside. It's just a bunch of dead, dry bones. I do not want that to be God's view of me, his picture of me. Because, like I said, I can get by fooling enough people that I come in contact with, either on a daily basis, weekly basis, or whatever it is, or just the stranger that I, I just want them to think I look good. But when he sees me, what does he see? Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Start at verse 1. Now, I'm thankful as we started, we said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While I was just a bunch of dead, dry bones, he still loved me enough to die for me in that state, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened. Everybody say quickened. You hath he quickened. Now we see Paul writing to another church here, the church of Ephesus. And Paul knows these people. Let me say that again. Paul knows these people. In case you didn't know, we call him Apostle Paul for a reason. He went to these places where he writes these letters he spent time at each place, at each location, getting to know the brethren, getting to know the families, and then establishing a work and then leaving. So now he comes back to them, or he writes back to them, and he says, Brother Lewis, I knew you. Remember when I showed up to Ephesus? Remember when I showed up to Wapato? Remember when I showed up to California, Texas, wherever it was? that I came across you in that state that you used to be in. <clears throat> Paul describes it as dead in trespasses and sin. That's what you were. But it says, you hath he quickened. Verse 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. That's before you came out from among them, before you were separated. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. 
Now, just like I'm supposed to cleanse myself from filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, now he's removing any doubt. Remember when you were. Remember when you walked in. Remember when you lived this way. You had your conversation according to that way. The lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us. See, it doesn't matter who Paul's writing to. The message really doesn't change. Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians. The message is still the same. Here's what you were, but while you were that, here's what he did for you. And that's how we know he loves us. That's how you know he loves you, because of what he did for you. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Will you stand with me? Let's pray and talk to the Lord. Jesus, I thank you. For saving me, oh God. I thank you for reaching out, God, and the blood that you shed for me. God, I thank you for loving me while I was a sinner. I thank you for loving me, God, and not waiting until I tried my best to get clean. God, I know that on my own I couldn't get clean. My efforts, Lord Jesus, would be in vain to try and cleanse and purify myself, God, without your help. Jesus, but I, I believe you're helping us today, God. You're helping us see the areas, Lord, that need to be cleaned. Jesus, I pray, let me examine myself right now. God, any area of filthiness, God, any area of impurity that's come in contact, Lord Jesus, with things that are not of you in your spirit. God, I pray right now, let the blood of Jesus Christ wash over that sin. Let the blood of Jesus Christ forgive and cover and cleanse that, Lord. And let me arise. Let me walk in newness, O oh God. Let me walk according to a true repentance, Jesus. God, in your name, I want to be clean before you. Jesus, I want the inner man to be clean before you. In the name of Jesus. 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 As we, we reflect on these phases of our life. And I know that I was here for a season. And I did that for a season. I lived according to the flesh for a season. As, as he writes in Ephesians. I encourage you, don't let your mind dwell there. The enemy would love nothing more than just keep your mind there. If he can't keep you there physically, then he'll, he'll come for your mind. And as soon as you start to try and take another step 
towards holiness, perfecting holiness, he'll be right there in your mind saying, but remember when you did fulfill that? Remember when you did walk that way? I would dare say he would even put people in your mind that know that side of you. Oh, yeah, you, 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 you think you're all that, but, but your friend, he knows better. She knows better. All I can do is cleanse myself. All I can do is cleanse myself. Let the word of God and, and the blood of God and, and all these things that he's done for me wash me anew, make me clean again. Amen. Elder Hart, I'm going to turn this over to you. Why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you lift your hands, stretch them as high as you can. No, really, stretch them as high as you can. Like you're stretching right now. Would you do that? Yeah, you can move them around up there if you want. A minute. All right. I'm not asking you to worship. I'm asking you to stretch your hands. Praise God. Why don't you maybe twist just a moment while you're standing, and then I'm going to have you sit back down for just a couple more minutes. Praise God. Amen. Brother Jeremiah, can you put 2 Corinthians 6 back up there? Praise God. Thank you for the flowers. It's important teaching. 2 Corinthians 6, probably verse 16, I think. We'll start there. I remember, see, this is all I've known all my life is when I was born, the first place my mom took me was to a Pentecostal church. Just, my grandfather was a pastor of a Pentecostal church. I just grew up in this all my life. And uh, maybe go ahead and go to verse 17. There you go. Leave that one there. And so I was one of those kids that heard verse that Brother Flower started with, you know, be not unequally yoked, be not unequally yoked. And so, um, And so these scriptures we heard, and I, I remember I grew up in a home, and, and bear with me here for just a minute. I think this is important. The Lord's really, really, really trying to help us this morning. I, um, by the way, the, where I went to church as a child, the first five years of my life was in Arkansas, so it was in the Bible Belt. And, um, and there, were, there were some that were very dogmatic in a way that was, not love, dare I say it that way, and there were rules, it wasn't about relationship when I grew up, it was rules, and you followed the rules or else, and there were some that were really good rule followers, and there were some that were not so good rule followers, and it didn't take long because the one that were good rule followers were always let you know who the not so good rule followers were, right? Imagine that. Some things never change, do they? But um, I, I remember, and, and please bear with me. Don't check out. What I'm about to say probably going to just throw some people sideways, but hold on, okay? Please hold on. 
let a thought finish. I said, the Lord's trying to help us. I grew up, we did not have a television in our home. Uh, because it was very clear, set no evil thing or wicked thing before your eyes. Make a covenant with your eyes. And so, therefore, it was preached, a television in your home. And uh, I think there's a lot of truth to that. But here was, here was the challenge. That worked well until, okay, you don't have a television, but people started getting computers. And we didn't start preaching against computers fast enough. And so by the time everybody had a computer, we'd miss the opportunity. And then, as if that wasn't enough, then everybody had phones. And we hadn't started preaching fast enough against don't have phones. And so, you understand, right? We, we, TV, it was no TV. But man, when computers came, they, before we knew it, there was video on computers. And we could, ah, we'd already allowed it, right? Because... We couldn't legislate holiness. We couldn't make rules that would make you holy. And please don't misunderstand me. I believe well-meaning, prayerful men of God were seeking to protect sheep. The, sh the shepherds were looking over the sheep when they said, you shouldn't have a television in your home. I respect they were looking out for the sheep that they were responsible for. They were saying, let us protect you from temptations, things that would enter in, that would get into your heart. There's a story. I have a book at home on my bookshelf right now. I think everybody should read. It's called Rated X. And it tells the story of television and what it allows into the home and the patterns and the process of Hollywood and their end goal. I, I think everybody should read it. If, if you do that and you have a television in your home, I promise you, you'll change what you turn on or, or you'll get it out of your home. It, it, it's, there's only one agenda of Hollywood. I mean, there's, it's multifaceted, but I promise you it's not God's agenda. And so... I digress. Let's get back over here. So growing up, it was there was no television at home. But what they were doing is, again, well-meaning. They were trying to protect from avenues that sin could enter into someone's life. Right? It was also things like, look, you don't go to the movie theater. I've gone to the movie theater twice in my entire life. Twice in my entire life. The first time I was six years old because my dad that had left my mom took me. He, probably, he knew that would irritate my mom. That's probably why he did it. And I saw Gus and Bambi. It was a double feature. Gus was the mule that kicked soccer balls, and Bambi was the deer that, yeah, you know the story. That, I, I went and saw that. And uh, <laughs> this might get me in trouble. Then later on, some years later, the only other time I've ever been in my life, I actually went with Bishop. There, that'll get me out of trouble. <laughs> Woo! And uh, I'll tell you why. There, there was a group of us. We all went together. There's about 15 of us that went. Uh, there was all this buzz about the passion of the Christ, this movie that came out. And we're like, we need to go find out so that we can give an answer because people are going to be talking about this. And so this group of us, I don't know, 10 or 15, we went one Wednesday night after a church, after church service. We went and so we sat and watched this so we could be able to speak about it and talk to people. But then we, some of you may remember if you're on that side, then we went into Seattle and began passing out these flyers that we made and said, after the passion, now what? 
and began talking to people about what do we do now that he's risen? What does it mean? Where do you go from there? And anyway, those are the only two times I've ever been in a movie theater in my life. Why? Because there was this guideline with TV that said, you don't go to the movie theater. What were they saying? They were understanding what you're going and letting into your life there isn't feeding your spirit. It's feeding filthiness of the flesh or of the world. It's not of God. But you can't legislate holiness. Because holiness is not rules. Holiness is relationship. Holiness means to be set apart unto God. Separated, not just separated because I'm better. It's not an elitist thing. You understand we're all saved by the blood of the Lamb. None is no better than the other. But the blood of Jesus Christ, all of us were lost. So holiness is being set apart unto Christ. Just over 26 years ago, I stood at the front of a church and my wife came in the doors and my jaw almost hit the floor and it was, uh, reality set in and she walked down the aisle and I said, I do. And she said, I do. And Brother Thornton said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. I kissed her. We walked down Mr. and Mrs. Hart. That was just over 26 years ago. And guess what? From that day forward, there's some things that I used to engage in with other ladies. I'm not talking about sin. In case your mind's going there. There was just things I engaged in with other ladies. I did not engage in anymore. Because something happened when I said I do. I was now set apart wholly unto this woman. I was separated unto her. I mean, I used to, I would get off work. And me and two or three other girls and another guy, we'd go out to dinner together and we'd eat together. Wouldn't think anything of it. There was no, there was no ill will. There was no bad stuff happening. But I was married now. So when I get off work, it wouldn't just me and a couple other girls go out to dinner. Well, why not? You weren't doing anything. You were just having dinner. No, it wasn't about right or wrong. It was about relationship. I was now set apart. I couldn't even give the appearance that there was. I was set apart unto her. And so I was separating myself from others. Does that make sense this morning? And so when we talk of holiness, the scripture uses the word perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I'm not afraid of God. I have this relationship with God. And I have reverence towards that relationship. That's fear of God. I have a reverence toward my relationship with Him. And so because of my reverence in relationship, I'm perfecting holiness. What does that mean? Hear me. When you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and all of your sins are washed away, you're made clean. The flowers covered that with us. I now, I don't come out of the water. And then he baptizes me with his spirit. I'm filled with the baptism of the gift of the Holy Ghost. Evidence and speaking in other tongues as his spirit gives me the utterance. That's called being born again. So that means I'm a babe. I've just been born. That doesn't mean I've arrived. It means I've been born again of the water and of the spirit like we read in John chapter 3. So now what am I going to do? Now I'm going to perfect holiness in the fear of God. I've entered into this relationship with God. You understand when he comes he's coming for a bride. So I'm set apart unto him. I'm separating myself and set apart unto him. So now I'm perfecting holiness. Holiness is not something that I become when I come out of the water in baptism and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. You don't become holy instantly. We perfect 
holiness. That means a completion. It's an ongoing work. It's a developing work in our life. Now, I can continue to, when I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, I should then be listening to the Spirit of God. And so what happens? Now I get my phone or my computer or you turn on your television and you go, hold on, what I'm seeing there doesn't agree with the Spirit of God that's in me. I'm not watching that. I'm turning it off. I'm not giving that room in my life. See, that's not legislating something. That's a relationship. And I think that's what our our forefathers were were striving to do. But what happened is you had people that said, well, what's the rule? What rule do I follow? And there was never a depth of relationship. And so the Holy Ghost was never the guiding factor in holiness. It was what rules make me holy. Now, I'm not taking away from what I, I fully agree with what Brother Flowers said wholeheartedly, completely. Once the inside is made holy, it starts showing up on the outside. It starts being reflected in the outer man. But hear me. If you and I are a child of God filled with the Holy Ghost, our relationship with Him influences our action and our choices. So I don't have to have someone tell me, Don't have this in your home. Don't do this with your computer. Don't do that with your phone. You know what I tell you? If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you won't do those things. Because you'll yield to the voice of the Spirit in your life. And you'll identify, hold on a minute. That's filthiness of the world. That's filthiness of the flesh. I don't want that filthiness in my spirit. Therefore, I'll not go there. I'll not let this into my life. I'll not give opportunity for that. Why? Because I'm better than somebody else? No, no, no. I'm set apart unto him. I belong to him now. I don't belong to myself. My body's a temple. I'm not going to let those things enter in through my eyes or through my ears. I'm not going to let those things get into my children or my family or my home or my marriage because I'm perfecting holiness in reverence, in fear of God. Does that make sense this morning? This is important for our walk. and The Lord is really trying to lead us. If you were here last Sunday, he dealt with us about our self-will. I, I was thinking as Brother Flowers was talking about the inside and the outside and looking one way and hypocrites and those things. I was th- that my mind went back to pulling weeds two Saturdays ago and I was going to cut them down to make it look good. But no, I want to get I want to go deeper. I want to go where you can't see. I want to go into the earth and get the root out. Perfecting holiness is a process. Now watch. Come out from among them. Be separate. Set apart, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. And I'll receive you. Do you see that word? I will receive you. When you and I fellowship the things of this world, it can feel like We're struggling to break through in praise, prayer, and worship. Why? Because the Lord is a jealous God. He's not interested in sharing us with another. But watch what he says in verse 18. And I will be a father to you. See, that's relationship. That's not rules. 
and you'll be my sons and daughters. Stand with me. I'm not naive completely. I was a teenager once. I don't believe for a moment that my kids act when they're away from me exactly the way they would if I'm in the room. I was a teenager once. I pushed the limits sometimes. I'd push the boundaries. I'd see what... And then I'd run back. Thank God he gave me a, he drew me back to repentance. Would prick my heart. And so I'd run back to him. And so he does that with us. A great measure of walking in relationship with him and perfecting holiness is. If this is about reverence to my father and separating myself unto him. How many of you believe that he's ever present? Amen. You understand he's not ever present to keep his thumb on us. What are you doing? What are you doing right now? I'm watching you right now. Everywhere you go, I'm watching you. I'm on you. I, I know where you were last night. I know where you were this morning. And I know what you did. While you, I know everything you're doing every morning. That's not how God is. That's not the ever present God. Some have taught him that way. He's ever present, meaning he's never far from you. But knowing he's an ever present God, I don't live my life. I don't seek for the work of his spirit to perfect holiness in me. To oh, oh, oh. No, it's I love him. I'm in relationship with him. I reverence him. I honor him. And so therefore, my life is lived such. So I ask myself at times, would I engage in this knowing God is with me? Would I like to lead him into this with me right now? Do I want to participate in this with God? And that's a pretty good measure of cleansing myself. Would I participate in this with him? He's wanting us in deeper relationship. Amen. Would you reach to him right now before we go this morning? Father, let your word and your spirit settle into my spirit today. This which you've spoken to us this morning by your word. Let it settle into our spirit. That we be set apart unto you. Our first husband. Who is one day returning for a bride that is without spot. Or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. I pray by your grace. By your grace, Father. By your grace, let us perfect holiness in the fear of God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Lead us individually and collectively. Day by day. Father, responding to your word and the beckoning of your spirit upon our hearts. 
because of your love toward us, because of your love toward us, Father. Let us not return to that which you've rescued us from. But I pray the work of the blood, the work of the cross today, in the name of Jesus, that we be a chosen people set apart unto you for your glory and your purpose. Father, not better than anyone, but Father, knowing that we're called with purpose. In the name of Jesus Christ, lead us by your spirit, lead us in this your word. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you today, Father. We thank you today, Father. In Jesus' name, praise God, praise God, praise God. God bless you. Go in the word today, amen? Amen. Amen. Greet someone. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.